0: Now we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here, Here we go. go.
1: Hello Jane. Hello Sophie. How are you
0: today? I'm good, babe. How are
1: you? I miss I'm you. I'm so good. I'm in Melbourne. I'm surrounded by family. I'm a little bit exhausted because I've done two family lunches back to back. Both <laughs> days started drinking at about eleven thirty. Had roast beef both days for lunch. Yeah, I'm feeling large and in charge, but we're <laughs> <good>. <laughs> but we are good. It's been really yeah, just super happy to be around family. Have many sets of extra hands, but yeah, all good. Do you miss me? Um, we're not quite there yet, but um, okay. give okay. it another week. Yeah, that's no, all right.
0: Well, I'm excited because I'm coming down to Melbourne for the first time in like three years. Can ot even believe that that is how long it's been, but I will be down in a few weeks to see all my family so I will be full and fed and hands on Trunk deck, and oh, pissed as and it'll be fabulous. So, so good. What a time to be alive. Any highs or lows this week? Absolutely. So highs, <laughs> it was Greta's baby sprinkle on the weekend and we had my sister-in-law and we had a beautiful time. I'm going to say on here because I have not stopped laughing about it. I was like, how did you, like, what did you think? Like, did you have a good time? And she turns around after everything and she's like, yeah, it was just boring. Oh. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> fucking God. I go, that is ridiculous. And she's like, no, like, it was great, but it was just boring. I'm like, you're sober and pregnant.
1: I was going to say, it's not our fault you're heavily pregnant. What do like, to do, do, do for what you? you? Else do you want? And
0: do she you she's want to go like, drunk no. skydiving? Like, what? She's like, no, but it's just baby, it's like a show shower, you know, and I'm like, all right, well when the baby's out, we'll have a really, really fun time. But for now, and every time she says, like someone says, How was it? She's like, Yeah, it was really good. I'm like, tell them the truth, babe. You thought it was fucking boring.
1: It's like when you say something was lovely. Anytime something was lovely means it was boring as bat yeah shit. But really I love lovely. that. That's my kind of mum when it's like, oh but the whole thing was about the baby. Yeah. <laughs> what about she did get me? a massage. She did oh, get a nice.
0: massage. She got some nice pyjamas. So look, she's fabulous. She's a
1: spoiled brat. Any lies my, of the week? She's a spoiled is brat. Is your low of the week the fact that you organised a baby shower for someone <laughs> that was that boring? Was boring?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not it. My, my downfall is Cyclone Bloody Susie came along. You weren't here to see it or be in it, but our trampoline went into the wall of the house and thank goodness it didn't smash any glass panels or anything like that. But there was a poor woman in the street that had a tree fall on her car she's fine but it was out of control like yeah. i was in a taxi they never saw anything like it we had to pull into the depot it was absolutely mayhem and uh, there has been like debris all over yeah. the road so yep it's been a wild time what about you Yeah,
1: not really. Like uh, this week's just been a high so far. I mean, I've been down in Melbourne, as I said, spending time with family. There hasn't been any lows yet. All right. Do you have any mum hacks for us? I do. I have one that was sent in and it says, I don't know if this is a mum hack or a granddad hack, but my dad helped me fix the door to my baby's room as it wasn't closing properly. And he also stuck those little felt dots that you use under furniture to the door frame, which means means that now when you close the door it makes absolutely no sound.
0: That is bloody genius. Because it's always as you close
1: the door <gasps> oh, that your baby wakes yes. up. I need to pop some of my ankles to stop them from
0: cracking because
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing that wakes the baby up. But that's genius. I love that. Shout out to your grandpa. Good on
0: your grandpops. All right, rude or fabulous. I haven't read this fully so it may or may not be way too rude but we'll just go for it. Uh, Girls, I've got a rude or fabulous mum hack slash mum hack for you. Either I'm a really horrible mum or I'm a genius. So I have a 11 month old and nearly three year old. My 11 month old likes to be rocked to sleep and I'm always getting interrupted by my three year old coming in and waking her up while rocking her to sleep. So today he was playing outside as it was approaching her nap time. I told him I was putting her to sleep and of course he comes running in and interrupt I finally get him out he goes outside again and he was playing so nicely that I thought hmm I could just lock the door so he can't come in again. So I actually lock the door, put the baby down in peace, and in half the time it normally takes due to his interruptions, am I a horrible mother for locking my child outside? Probably wouldn't recommend it. Or am I genius? Babe, you are fucking fabulous. Good on you. You're
1: genius, you're fabulous. And, yes, we definitely cannot recommend locking your toddler out of the house. Does it mean we wouldn't do it? No. No. Does it mean we can recommend it? No. also no. <laughs> all right. We're going to get into today's episode. It is with Dr. Timmy. He is back and we are going to be chatting all about gestational diabetes. If you haven't listened to one of our Dr. Timmy episodes before, we've got plenty not sure where you've been. There's plenty, but he is an obstetrician, gynecologist and fertility specialist. And he's actually my dad as well. So enjoy. Hello, Dr. Timmy, and welcome back to the potty. We are side by side today in Melbourne. Um, hello via correspondence, Jade. How does it feel being on the other side?
0: It feels very lonely. I wish I was in the middle of you two, but I like that I can see you sharing a headset, an earphone set. You look lovely together. Thank you. Timmy, welcome. Welcome, Timmy. Well,
2: I'm exhausted today. We've had a little early Christmas celebration. Four granddaughters in the house. Woo,
0: that's here been a with lot.
2: with Sophie. It's just an epic week.
0: I'm exhausting. And I'd just like to share with everybody that we know that Sophie's been using a sock for her microphone. She's actually using Timmy's sock for this episode and it has boats on it. So it's a beautiful sock, Timmy.
2: Beautiful sock.
0: I hope it's washed.
2: No, I wore it for about three or four days and I just got it out of the <laughs> laundry golf. basket. And there's that special, special smell that only a set of runners can create. <laughs> but it smells moist. It could be worse. It could it be Nick Don't Sock. Ever
1: say oh boys. God, if it was Nick Sock, neither of us would be conscious right now. But moving on today, we are talking all about gestational diabetes. We've had so many women and actually their partners write in saying, you know, I've been diagnosed, what does this mean? Or why is there such a stigma around gestational diabetes or diabetes in general? Do I really need to get the test done? So these are the kind of questions we're going to be shooting at you today. And yeah, we hope that, we and everyone listening can learn a little bit more about what gestational diabetes is whether it's something that you've experienced or will experience or just for your own knowledge absolutely
2: think of me as just a giant target to shoot questions at (laughs) okay Timmy, i've got you i'm not that giant
1: (laughs) now timmy just can you get us started tell us a bit about what gestational diabetes is
2: Yeah, well, let's get started with what you just mentioned, this concept of the stigma of gestational diabetes, the fear of it, the whole sort of concept of it if somebody is diagnosed or worried about being diagnosed with it and and what it means. So gestational diabetes is a diabetic state. And as anyone, you know, knows with diabetes, you have a problem metabolizing sugar and that can end up with very high sugar levels, which can be unhealthy and might end up being treated with diet or with insulin. So just think of gestational diabetes as another form of diabetes, but clearly it's a form that happens in pregnancy and it actually happens in about one in 10 pregnancies in Australia. So you're talking about not only a common condition but it is not a condition that's confined to people who have a poor diet or who are overweight and in no way deserve to get it. So you could be extremely healthy coming into your pregnancy, have an excellent diet have no past history of any form of diabetes and get gestational diabetes. So there shouldn't be no stigma associated with it. And today we'll sort of de it and just get on with looking after it. Because there's one great thing about gestational diabetes is that when you're not gestational anymore and you've had your baby, you don't have the diabetes anymore.
0: So there's no relation to a standard diabetes to gestational. They're completely different. Is that correct?
2: Well, let's say, from the beginning that if you're diagnosed with gestational diabetes, you're more likely to get adult onset diabetes later in life. So let's not worry about, um, you know, textbook definitions of things and wording that I know I'll be corrected on. But let's talk about adult onset diabetes. Okay, use that term. So if you've had gestational diabetes, you are more likely to get diabetes later in life. Now, you might say, oh, well, that's a bummer because I've had gestational diabetes and now I know I might be a little more likely to get diabetes later in life. But in fact, that's an absolute godsend. That's fantastic because now that you know you're at risk, the pregnancy diagnosis of diabetes was a warning so that in the future you can pick up adult onset diabetes earlier, have it better treated, and therefore be much more likely to be able to avoid the long-term complications of adult Onset diabetes. So a lot of people would consider that the diagnosis of gestational diabetes is of greater benefit to the community in predicting people who will get adult onset diabetes than it is in in the actual management of the pregnancies that are affected by gestational diabetes, it could be used as one of the great preventative medicine tools to help women in the future avoid or early diagnose adult-onset diabetes and treat it properly.
0: And how common is it for them to actually, like, do we have statistics on it?
2: Look, I get worried about the use of statistics on this show because... (laughs) We are very often corrected by... um, Lots of people. Google-minded people. (laughs) And what I want to try and change this show's attitude to things is managing people and thinking about pregnancies and thinking about people as individuals, so... When we say, if someone got gestational diabetes, are they more likely to get adult-onset diabetes? Well, hang on a minute, this is an individual. So is this individual from a family with a strong family history of diabetes? You know, is this person overweight and have a poor diet and poor exercise? Did this person's gestational diabetes require the use of insulin? There are so many variables in individual cases to say that one in three or one in four Mm -hmm. or one in ten will go on to have adult onset diabetes. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that it was a warning and that that person go on to monitor for that. And I'm not talking about having a, a glucose tolerance test every week. I'm talking about having a glucose tolerance test maybe every two years. And if you've been monitoring your sugars, you will probably have a glucometer, you know, that's given to you and that you keep so that you could do a fasting blood sugar level, you know, every three to six months, and that would be no difficulty at all.
0: I feel like I need to manage my sugar levels just on the daily <laughs> Just completely. Just for health health purposes, seriously. <laughs> so well, you- it won't
2: be long before your Apple Watch tells you your sugar level. You know, Apple watches are now. Oh, sorry, I should say
0: smart smart watch. Yes, don't you dare um, plug Apple when they're not sponsoring us.
2: <laughs> yeah. So they um, didn't
0: have the budget. Yeah,
1: they're, they're, they didn't.
0: So sad.
2: Are you guys not sponsored by Apple? Not yet. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Those great Apple Watches that sponsor me, they can do an ECG on you. They can measure your blood pressure. They can do all sorts of things. So in the future, no doubt, they will be monitoring all sorts of things in your bloodstream.
0: Timmy, you'll be out of a job.
2: No, I won't be because my position at Apple will be secure. (laughs)
1: So if you have gestational diabetes in one pregnancy, how likely are you to have it in subsequent pregnancies?
2: Likely and, of course, having got gestational diabetes in the first pregnancy, you might undertake significant lifestyle changes and dietary changes from the knowledge you receive in the management of your gestational diabetes that make you less likely to get diabetes the next time. And also going back to the statement I made before about it depends. I mean, is this a person who required insulin? Is this a person who had very severe, difficult, controlled gestational diabetes or who just had a minor abnormality on their glucose? Screening that required very little follow up and perhaps dietary changes. So, number one, yes, you are more likely to have it in the future. If somebody had very mild gestational diabetes, I would normally just do the full sugar screening exactly the same as any other pregnancy in a future pregnancy. But if someone had severe diabetes requiring insulin treatment, what I would normally do is not even bother with the screening test. I would just start testing the sugars a little bit earlier on and manage the pregnancy a little bit like diabetes, but having got in early, perhaps avoiding any abnormal sugar readings.
1: So, you know, women, as soon as they're pregnant, they're warned about the glucose tolerance test. You know, a lot of people are warned it's the worst part of being pregnant, especially if you've had nausea and vomiting throughout the pregnancy. So can you tell us a little bit about what, the test is and, and what you'll go through to get the test.
2: Yeah, well look, this has changed over the years. It used to be that you were given a, a sugar drink and then did did a one hour sugar test and that was um, had a cutoff and if you were above the cutoff you went on and had the full test. But now we just start with a full fasted oral glucose tolerance test. It's done at 26 to 28 weeks in your pregnancy. You go into the lab fasted from the night before so in other words get up in the morning don't have any breakfast and in particular don't have any like coffee or juice you can have water you can brush your teeth you can take tablets with water if you normally take them when you arrive at the lab you will do a fasting blood sugar level then they will give you a drink that's like a particularly sweet lemonade And listen, I mean, I get variable feedback about that drink, but most people say it was just like, you know, uh, drinking a non-diet Sprite. Lies. Um, Lies. Oh Well, some people enjoy it and others don't. And then you'll have a sugar level done at one hour and two hours. Yes, it is true that some people drink the drink and then vomit or can't finish the drink. But overall, given that we do this test on every pregnancy, we do get a result in nearly every case. So a fasting blood sugar level and then the drink and then a one hour and a two hour blood sugar level. There are no urine tests. And of course, the test takes two hours because once you've had the drink, The one-hour and the two-hour blood test times are locked in. Can I just say that you'll often, your doctor will check you for some other things at the same time because it's an opportune time in the pregnancy when you're having three blood tests done, so they'll often check your hemoglobin or even your full blood count, check your iron level. If you've got a negative blood group, check your blood group and antibody screen again. If you're on thyroid medication, take that opportunity to check your thyroid function tests. And if there was anything missing or needing follow-up from the early pregnancy blood tests, for example, if you had a very low vitamin D level or a low platelet count or something else that required following up, It can be done at this opportune time where you're just moving from the second to the third trimester.
0: And why is it tested so late in pregnancy?
2: Well, quite simply because gestational diabetes doesn't occur until then. Ah. So the nature of gestational diabetes is that the pregnancy produces a relatively insulin-resistant state in the pregnant person that is not there at seven weeks at 12 weeks, at 20 weeks. It develops during the pregnancy as the insulin resistance increases during the pregnancy. Now, if someone is at very high risk of diabetes, you could say, well, look, we'll do a diabetes screen at 24 weeks or 22 weeks, and then we'll do it again at 26 weeks. That's okay and I've got no problem with that form of management. However, as I said, if I have a patient who I consider to be at that higher risk of diabetes, I'd probably just start monitoring their sugars then rather than going and doing a fasted oral glucose tolerance test.
1: And being someone who had a lot of nausea and vomiting in pregnancy and someone who really struggled not to eat during pregnancy, I had to snack the whole time, even up to 28 weeks, when this test is done My tips would be, make sure you go somewhere where they refrigerate the drink. Some places don't and you have to drink it warm and that is just a whole nother layer of yuck. And my second thing is find the pathology lab nearest to you that opens the earliest. So some open at like 6 a.m. So, you know, by 8 o'clock you can be eating breakfast, whereas if you rock up somewhere that doesn't open till like 8.30, 9 o'clock, you're fasting till like 10 30 11 which if you're a pregnant person with nausea can be pretty much impossible and take something other than your phone to do because I feel like when I feel sick I can't look at a screen so like even a book or a magazine or listening to a podcast where you can just like close your eyes is a good thing to do because I find looking at my phone gross how did you go with it Jade?
0: So I failed twice every pregnancy I went to do it. I got so far drinking the drink that I went, no, I can't. And then I threw it all up and it would have to go back another week. It was a nightmare. And by the last pregnancy, I nearly drank it all. And the lady was like, you know what? That'll be enough. And she didn't make me do the entire thing. And we got through it and then I threw up. So it's just, look, It is. It's like flat lemonade. And it's all good if you're not feeling nauseated. But if you're feeling nauseated, that's mighty hard to swallow. So I think little tiny sips and take your time is, I guess, my best tip to do to get through it.
2: And if you have a really bad experience, the most important test is the fasted test. So if you can just, you know, get to the lab and have the fasted blood sugar level done, that's a very helpful one. Interestingly, during COVID, there was a time when there were recommendations to try and reduce people's trips to the lab and in particular not have people sitting around in a lab for two hours because you are required to not exercise and not go and do other things during the two hours. So to try and avoid people staying in the lab for two hours, there were some tactics to shorten the test, for example, doing just a fasted blood sugar level or doing a fasted sugar level and a blood test called a hemoglobin A1C, which is used in diabetes as a sort of It's like a a measurement of what your long-term sugar levels have been like. So if your hemoglobin A1c is raised, that suggests your sugars have been high, and if it's low, it suggests they've been normal. So there are tactics to use. If someone said to me, I just cannot have that drink, or I went and had the drink and vomited and I will not have it again, they will often have had the fasted sugar level because that came before the drink, and I'll look at that and think about doing a hemoglobin A1c or just accepting that their fasting sugar was fine.
1: Mm. So if someone had had two pregnancies previously, for example, and hadn't had any signs of gestational diabetes, would you still recommend in the third pregnancy, for example, that they still get it done?
2: Well, if they'd had the reactions you're referring to, I think you have to take everyone as an individual and keep in mind what's going on. So I think I could use my alternative test in someone who just couldn't face the drink. There's also people who have a needle phobia, so having three blood tests can be pretty scary. But I think overall my philosophy would be that I am trying to test as many people as I can for gestational diabetes, whether it's their first or a subsequent pregnancy, because it is a very common and important condition, and if it's present, should be treated appropriately. So whilst there will always be exceptions, I just want to make it clear that my underlying philosophy would be to try and get the test done, but not to be mean to someone about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And is there any way someone wrote in asking if they me. ate super healthy leading up to the test, can it they skew me. or sway the results, Jade?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, obviously we do our best to get good blood test results. So if you were doing your cholesterol level, you try and have a really good diet in the Lead up to it. And if you're doing a cholesterol level for your life insurance, you'll go on cholesterol lowering drugs for a few months (laughs) and then do the level for your life insurance. But no. In fact, as the pregnancy goes on, it's the pregnancy that's affecting your sugar metabolism and therefore it would be difficult with a good diet leading up to the test to change the the results of the test as it's it's a fasted test so your pre-existing sugar level doesn't come into it and then with a sugar load. So to see how you metabolize that load.
1: So even if you had broccoli the night before, you're still having to have the sugar
0: drink anyway. Which comes to the next question. Can you develop gestational diabetes after a normal glucose test?
2: Look, this occasionally comes up in meetings when a baby has been delivered that's say been over four kilos and shows some of the um, complications of diabetes after birth. But Looking back in their notes, the sugar test was normal and this term of late-onset gestational diabetes comes about. I think we should just define gestational diabetes as gestational diabetes on gestational diabetes screening and try and avoid making up new terms and new diagnoses. But I do suspect that some people who've passed the test... Do have some gestational diabetes later in their pregnancy and that reveals itself later on with the size of the baby and issues that occur. But let's just, you know, manage pregnancies in, in a way that accepts that every test that you do, every single test that you do in pregnancy, has its limitations and that there will all be, always be false positives and false negatives and that this test is a very good test. It's a very thorough test. It's not done in every country. There are plenty of places where glucose screening is not done and some places where the only glucose screening that's done is to do a dipstick in your urine for sugar, looking for diabetes by seeing sugar in the urine, which you know probably 30 years ago shown to have no predictive value whatsoever for the gestational diabetes and I suspect in those places they just can't be bothered with you know the logistics of organizing glucose screening for everyone so I'd call it a very good test but every test has its limitations.
1: So why is it even tested like why do we need to know if we have gestational diabetes?
2: Yeah, so we're going to talk now about the effects that gestational diabetes could have on your pregnancy. So let's take it as already said that diagnosing gestational diabetes in pregnancy, of course, by definition, (laughs) has a long-term benefit in terms of that person's ongoing health and risk of later onset diabetes. But in the pregnancy, gestational diabetes can be associated with excessive growth of the baby. And then excessive growth of the baby can be related to difficulties with delivery. And I think that's fairly self-explanatory that if your baby is a lot bigger, there may be more complications in the delivery of that baby. And then after the delivery, the baby may have significant problems with their electrolyte balance and with having a very low sugar level. And indeed, babies can become very unwell post the delivery if it's not known to keep an eye out um, for gestational diabetes problems. And the other thing is gestational diabetes is associated with a significantly increased risk of stillbirth, particularly if it's poorly controlled. Now, in previous times when I've mentioned stillbirth on this podcast, I've been accused of being alarmist. Well, I'm really sorry with what misinformation other people have been given, but diabetes in pregnancy is associated with a higher risk of stillbirth. That's a fact, and it should be taken seriously. And for anyone who has ever known anyone who's had a stillbirth or been involved in the management of a stillbirth or been involved in a family who's experienced that, I'm really, really sorry to say that word, but diabetes is associated with an increased risk of stillbirth. So please don't say anything contrary to me about that.
0: If you do have gestational diabetes and you don't sort of do anything about it, are your children do they come out bigger than what they would if you didn't have gestational? Absolutely. Yeah, right. Okay. And is that because of the sugar?
2: Yeah, I'll explain that. So. If you have undiagnosed or unmanaged, sometimes people have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes and then don't manage it at all. Don't monitor their sugar levels, you know, don't change their diet, don't do anything. So it's either undiagnosed or unmanaged gestational diabetes. So what happens is sugar goes across the placenta to the baby the baby is exposed to long-term continuous high sugar levels, which of course will mean the baby gets bigger. But also the baby, because it has a pancreas and it has an endocrine system, makes insulin to metabolize that sugar within its own body. Just like if you were given a drip with sugar in it, we we'll called the umbilical cord the drip, which was infusing you with sugar. You would make insulin, and you would metabolize that sugar. So insulin has a growth hormone-like effect. Insulin and growth hormone are very similar in structure, and therefore the high levels of insulin stimulate extra growth in the baby. And then one of the reasons why the babies become unwell after birth is right up until the moment of birth, the baby was producing high levels of insulin Mm. and then when the baby's delivered and disconnected from the placenta and wrapped up and cuddled by mum, it's pumping out insulin but it's not receiving any sugar. So even though it's completely contrary to what you intuitively would think, that a diabetic baby would have a high sugar level, the diabetic baby gets a very, very low sugar level And that's why in gestational diabetes, because we've diagnosed it and we've managed it, we will check the baby's blood sugar level at one hour and we will make sure that the baby gets an early feed and we can talk about methods to maintain the baby's sugar after delivery to avoid it having a very low sugar level, which can be associated with some quite serious reactions, including the baby having what would be, I guess you'd refer to it as a hypo and becoming very sick and floppy, even unconscious, even fitting. And there are other metabolic abnormalities that can occur in association with that sudden drop in the sugar infusion that the baby was receiving prior to delivery. So the diagnosis is important because even if you've been diagnosed with gestational diabetes and then done all the management that we'll discuss and kept your sugar levels perfect after the delivery, we'll keep a really close eye on the baby to make sure it's still okay. Let alone someone who has been not diagnosed with diabetes or diagnosed with diabetes and not managed it, it's even more important to be keeping a really close eye on that baby. And to clarify that, if a woman gives birth to a baby that's, say, over four kilos, quite often we'll manage that baby a little bit like a diabetic baby initially, just to make sure it doesn't have a sudden drop in its sugar level, a little bit along the lines of, can you sometimes get diabetes after the sugar test and it wasn't diagnosed as gestational diabetes? So does
0: the baby, after all that, go on to be completely fine or is there a chance because they've gone through that whole gestational period of the mother having diabetes, is there a chance the child will then carry that on in their normal life?
2: No, the risks to the baby are the risks of childbirth being a bigger-than-normal baby right? and also the risks of the initial post-delivery period where the sugar levels can drop. So if the delivery is successful and correctly managed and the baby isn't damaged during the delivery and if the baby's sugar levels are managed initially, the baby will readjust its insulin production Match with its sugar input and just become another baby with normal sugar metabolism because it's not receiving excess levels of sugar because it's just being fed like any other baby. And the mum's sugar level or the birthing parent's sugar level will go back to normal after the delivery. In fact, even women who've been on quite high insulin requirements during the later part of their pregnancy, it's amazing how their sugar levels go straight. Back to normal after the delivery, and no more insulin. As in, like the
1: same day.
2: Yes. So it is extremely uncommon. Like, I mean, extremely uncommon for somebody with gestational diabetes who's been on insulin to require any insulin once they are no longer pregnant. Wow.
1: Can we go back a little bit to before there's been a diagnosis of gestational diabetes? If you were someone who was high risk, say there was a family history or you'd had gestational diabetes in a previous pregnancy or something along those lines, what can we do to reduce our chances of getting gestational diabetes?
2: Well, quite clearly, you know, healthy diet weight and exercise will come up on nearly every episode of this podcast in terms of maximizing your chances for a healthy pregnancy. There is luck involved. You can have a perfectly healthy diet, weight and exercise and get gestational diabetes. But if you don't have those things, try and employ them prior to the pregnancy and in early pregnancy As you said, if someone's had diabetes before, remember part of the management of diabetes in pregnancy is counselling on diet by a diabetic educator and by a dietitian. So if on conceiving you start to employ those practical suggestions that were made in the pregnancy you had before – then you can say, right, well, I'm just going to treat myself like I'm diabetic and I'm going to manage my diet according to those instructions I was given. Within the
0: realms
1: of what you can digest. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, in the
2: first trimester, it's not going to make any difference. But as you approach sort of the, the end of the second trimester when you'd normally be having the diabetes test, you can say, right, well, some of the food that I thought was good food to eat actually had a bad reaction with my sugar levels. And this is the one of the things you notice with people who've got gestational diabetes is they come along to their visit and they're very frustrated that they ate something that they thought was a really healthy thing to eat, like a salad sandwich, and their sugars went up really high. And they ate something that, you know, they went out to someone's place and ate something that they thought was quite naughty. And then their sugar levels are normal and it's really frustrating. So you you mentioned at the start like the stigma of it. People have got to be reassured. It's really complicated Mm. and it's really unpredictable and you might find that you did your very, very best and yet you got a high sugar level. And so don't be down on yourself. Just go, well, look, this is an unpredictable condition. And this is where it's worth mentioning now. These days we have a much lower threshold to start people on insulin. And the reason for that is that people have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes. They see the diabetic educator. They see the dietitian. They're given instructions on how to monitor their sugar levels and when to do sugar tests. They're given instructions on what ideal timing of meals is and what ideal type of meal structures are. And then they're managing their sugar levels and their sugar levels aren't coming down and they're getting increasingly frustrated. And when you think about it, it's the person who has the best diet prior to their pregnancy and is at the most ideal weight prior to their pregnancy that's going to find it the hardest to bring Mm. their sugars down because they don't have much to work with. They already have a good diet. They already are eating a diet that would be recommended by the dietician. So they're, in fact, the people who need insulin the most often because insulin's the only thing we've got to work with. Yeah. But regardless, going on insulin can be the absolute turning point for a lot of people and they come back to their next visit and they were absolutely terrified of needing insulin and saw that as a real like failure. And then when they're on the insulin, they say that is the best thing that ever happened because now if my sugars are up, I speak to The doctors and team looking after me, they put my insulin level up and my sugars go back under control. Mm. And so I'm now not finding myself starving myself and avoiding meals and avoiding doing sugar levels. My sugar has been so much easier to control. And interestingly, they often say they feel so much healthier in themselves with the help of the insulin to keep their sugars normal. So another message that I want to make strongly in this podcast is, if you're told to go on insulin, don't be upset. It's probably you're not be a failure. The, it's,
0: yeah, it's
2: it's probably going to be the biggest step forward in the management of your diabetes. And when you think, not
0: to mention stress management,
2: absolutely. And when you think that if you were told when you were five years old that you have diabetes, that's a lifetime of sugar monitoring ahead of you, a lifetime of ups and downs and hypers and hypos and managing diabetes. If you're told you need insulin in pregnancy, you're probably gonna be 30 weeks pregnant. So you've got about eight, nine and at the very most, 10 weeks of sugar monitoring ahead of you, which will then be completely finished when you have the baby. So don't despair. It's going to be a short-term, annoying, frustrating thing, but... It's worth it and it's very finite.
1: So if people find it quite, you know, different what affects their blood sugars, are people kind of put on a standardised diabetic diet or is it very different from person to person? Because I'm trying to think myself, like in my pregnancy with Poppy, if I had been told I had gestational diabetes and I could only eat specific things, I honestly think I probably would have had to go on insulin because none of those things that are probably recommended would I have been able to tolerate.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm 100% sure, knowing you, that if you'd got <laughs> gestational diabetes, you would have been on insulin because you, I know you have a good diet. So mm. that's where you'd be pissed off that you got gestational diabetes and going, what have I got gestational diabetes for? But one other thing that's worth mentioning is a lot of people get a lot of surprises from the diabetic education and dietitian. You know, they're unaware of the massively high sugar levels that are in bread and also in a lot of fruit. And so they are eating things that they think are good things but that are in fact absolutely full of sugar. Interesting. So, so often they'll come back from their diabetes
1: Stop. educator
2: and <laughs> dietitian visit no, saying like, wow, I, I actually didn't realise I was free to eat one thing and wow, I didn't realize yeah. that other thing, you know, like pasta and mm. and carbohydrates, you know, can be so full of sugar that affect my diabetes. So it can be a, quite a rewarding educational thing. And particularly if you look upon it in a positive way or it can be a real kick in the guts. And just remember that possibly Australia's greatest athlete Ever and greatest ever, you know, Olympic runner got gestational diabetes and needed insulin. So, if somebody who's is one of the greatest runners and athletes in the world. And I'm not saying that with any breach of confidentiality. It was in the women's weekly that Kathy Freeman had gest- gestational diabetes. You weren't
1: her personal doctor. No. <laughs> um,
2: but, but try and remember that. And, and I guess, yes, being indigenous, she was in a risk group, but, um, you know, If you can run 400 meters as fast as her and you get gestational diabetes, I mean, that shows anyone can get gestational diabetes.
1: Very true. It's almost an interesting experiment. Not that I would wish gestational diabetes on anyone or want it myself, but I guess a way to get to know your body and the way that you, yeah, force education. And I'm sure you would take so much of that then into your postpartum life in terms of obviously knowing what's kind yeah. of good
2: for you. Well, that's the two feedbacks I get the most from gestational diabetic management is... I know so much more now about what I should and shouldn't be eating. And number two, I feel so much better on the insulin. So please, if if there's someone out there listening who's just been told they've got gestational diabetes and they need insulin, and now I've learned to say this at the very initial diagnosis, if you were ever told you need insulin, say that's great news because that's going to make this so much easier to manage. And I've I've noticed it over the course of my career, the way insulin has been used so much more. And I think a lot of that's got to do with the fact that it's so much easier now for a person to communicate with the people managing them about their sugar levels. So they will download the results from their glucometer They will either text or email it to their doctor and then just get an email or a text back saying, you know, your fasting sugars are a bit high, increase your evening insulin dose by two units. So it can be done so remotely now, and, of course, COVID has then further enhanced everything being done remotely, that it, it can be a lot easier to manage than you'd think, and let's not forget the short term. And then in terms of monitoring the pregnancy In all diabetics, you'll have a third trimester ultrasound We'd normally do that somewhere between 32 and 34 weeks. I do a 32-week scan now on every pregnant patient, whether they're having their first or subsequent baby, whether they're diabetic or not. But if the person is diabetic, I would tend to push that out a little bit towards 34 weeks. And what we're looking for there is a big baby, so that's referred to as macrosomia. So if at the 34-week scan the baby's on the 99, percentile for growth that means we need to now keep a careful eye on the baby's growth because how well is this baby going to fit when it comes to being delivered and is that macrosomia a sign that no matter what the sugars are saying that baby is getting too much sugar because it's growing that big and the second thing that you look for on the scan is is the amount of water around the baby, which is also referred to as the lycor volume or as the amnionic fluid index. And if the amount of water around the baby is excessive, that's also a sign that the sugars have been high. So we know now that if the baby is macrosomic and has a lot of water around it, that we're going to have to more carefully monitor that pregnancy. And really, the, the greater the signs of poor sugar level management, the earlier the baby should be delivered. So if someone was on insulin, had struggled throughout the pregnancy to maintain normal sugar levels, you would tend to deliver the baby at about 38 to 39 And is that months. in
1: terms of would you generally trial an induction or do they have to have a caesarean well, or are they encouraged to have a caesarean?
2: I would say that the decision about when to deliver a baby and the mode of delivery of that baby takes into account not statistics for every pregnant woman in the world but the individual management of that person so how big is the baby and on examination is the head coming into the pelvis is the baby even head first is the placenta in the right position is is it the person's first baby or a subsequent baby what's the blood pressure been like there are so many other things that would be taken into account But you will make the decision on the most appropriate mode of delivery once you've made the appropriate decision about when the baby should be delivered. So if diabetes has been simply diagnosed at the routine sugar test, managed easily with diet, the sugar levels have always been normal, the scan is normal, the fluid volume is normal, the baby is head first, then sure, it would be quite normal to let the pregnancy progress normally however if the sugars have been poorly controlled or the ultrasound suggests that the baby is macrosomic and there is excess fluid around the baby and particularly if the patient's been on insulin and the sugars have been difficult to control They're the people that you really do need to seriously consider delivering earlier, even as early as 38 weeks.
0: And for any of the women that have found out that they do have gestational diabetes, I guess it's safe, or I guess rest assured, knowing that it is just for now, not forever.
2: Absolutely, yeah. We've just got to help you successfully deliver this baby Mm. and manage the baby in the first 48 hours of its life and in particular the first four hours to make sure it has good sugar levels and then we'll take a couple of blood sugars on the person following delivery just to make sure they did come down to normal but that's usually over in a day and then at the postnatal visit a follow-up oral glucose tolerance test is organized usually for somewhere between 6 weeks and 12 weeks after the delivery just to ensure that um, the sugar control has gone back to normal. And, look, I I really can't even remember a time when that hasn't been the case. I was going to
1: say I wonder if it's common at all that the gestational carrier gets diagnosed with gestational diabetes but then afterwards you realise, oh, no, you just had diabetes?
2: I have, you know looked after patients who have been diagnosed with diabetes in pregnancy and that is usually where someone presents clearly at any gestation it could even be in the first trimester because it's not gestational diabetes it's diabetes and will often present ketoacidotic and if you combine that with morning sickness or severe hyperemesis, that can be an extremely complicated diagnosis where a person is presenting, feeling lethargic, feeling sick, ketoacidotic, barely conscious... And in fact, they have diabetes Hmm. and and that's happened to me a few times. So that is clearly not gestational diabetes, that is diabetes. And that person will manage their diabetes through the remainder of the pregnancy, but then of course, continue to manage it beyond and um, their insulin requirements will change following delivery. Another sign that can be a concern we said about monitoring is as the pregnancy progresses usually the insulin requirements go up or in dietary controlled gestational diabetes the control gets more difficult as the pregnancy gets further along. It can sometimes be seen as a worrying sign if the sugar requirements suddenly go down sorry, insulin requirements suddenly go down, suggesting that in some way the pregnancy is having less effect. Whatever it's producing that creates insulin resistance is reducing and they're sometimes patients or, or pregnancies that you want to watch very closely towards the end. If the insulin requirements are reducing, the, that may suggest that the placental function is reducing and that baby needs to be delivered.
0: Well there you go. My goodness. How are you feeling, Jane? I feel Have you got your head around yeah, it? very informed. And also the just the importance that if you are suffering gestational diabetes or just the importance of having a doctor check you out and have these things tested because Yeah, look, you are pregnant for nine months and it is worth any bed rest or any medication or anything that you have to do to just get that beautiful little baby out and healthy.
2: And the gestational diabetes, really, remember, at the most is going to be 10 weeks, possibly only two months of the pregnancy. And at that stage, we often check the iron level as well. So I'd say one in 10 patients have gestational diabetes and about one in five have a really low iron level, which we can now offer. You're
1: looking at two of them. Oh my God. Yeah, which
2: we can now offer the ferrinject for, which is such a simple and much easier way of restoring someone's iron levels. So that, that sugar test and that, that test at the end of the second trimester and start of the third is a, is a really helpful test in pregnancy.
1: Well, it's just good to know that it's worth the suffering of it because I sure as hell did not enjoy it, but I'm still glad I went through it to make sure that everything was okay. And, yeah, our heart goes out to anyone who has recently been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, but we hope this has made you feel more informed, you know, less stigmatised and reminds you that hopefully it is just a very short, temporary thing that you have to manage.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Dr Timmy, for your time. Thanks, Always Timmy. Always
2: my pleasure. I'll get back to the granddaughters. Yes,
0: you do that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on
1: Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.